Welcome listeners to episode number 14 of the Andrew Food for Thought podcast. On today's episode, I am joined by my friend Jess Fang, and this is a special edition episode, the first time that I've recorded um, using the app and we're doing a phone call um, since Jess is in New York right now and I'm uh, here in San Francisco. So trying this out for the first time, uh, we'll get a little different audio experience not being in a restaurant and having that kind of atmosphere. Um, but keeping with the theme of featuring a restaurant on each episode, um, we are going to be featuring a specific place today. It's called Daily Pie, and it's a um, local pie shop that um, is in Brooklyn um, in the neighborhood where Jess lives. Um, so, Jess, if you want to go ahead and tell us um, a little bit about Daily Pie and why you chose to feature that today. So, Daily Pie is a shop that was um, down the street from me. I live in a neighborhood called Prospect Heights in Brooklyn. Um, and it recently closed, so I think its last day was last Sunday. Um, and it made me quite sad. My friend sent me the news on Monday because she tried to go. Um, I guess it's pretty emblematic of what's happening in New York with a lot of um, restaurants always opening and closing, um, especially small businesses like Daily Pie that were just run by the owner and she would bake the pies every day. Um, every day when I would walk to the subway for work, they would always have a sign outside with some pie puns um, or the flavor of the day. So um, it's definitely a big loss for the neighborhood. It makes me quite sad. But because it's Brooklyn, there's yet another pie shop um, in the other direction in five minutes. So not all is lost, but I'm still feeling a little hurt that Daily Pie is now no more. So what what is uh, your neighborhood like? Like if, if somebody has uh, never been there before and they're visiting for the first time, what could they expect in terms of um, what it would feel like to walk down the street where Daily Pie is at or, um, you know, maybe what um, what they would be doing? Like, uh, you know, if somebody's um, in the neighborhood, like what is the reason why somebody would be uh, strolling through there or um, there to visit? So I think for any listeners who have only been to Manhattan, um, Prospect Heights is quite different from the skyscrapers and the really tall buildings in Manhattan. Um, it's a very neighborhood. Um, neighborhood. Uh, we're right next to Park Slope, which is known for um, a lot of young families. And I feel like a lot of that bleeds over to our neighborhood as well. Um, so still fairly young, but mostly people um, probably in their late 20s and 30s. Um, there's a few major streets with a lot of restaurants. Um, but it's it's very Brooklyn in the sense of um, a lot of the businesses are small businesses, um, even if they're larger and they have outposts in Manhattan, um, a lot of them have started in Brooklyn. Um, I can't think of an exact reason why anyone would come out here as a tourist um, beyond the fact that Brooklyn Museum is 10 minute walk away. Um, Barclay Center is like a 15 or 20 minute walk away. Um, so there's a few like larger establishments here, but mostly I see um, most mostly the people on the street are just locals or friends visiting. And I know just um, when we were talking briefly before the show, you mentioned that in general, um, you're a big fan of desserts. Um, so 
that's part of the appeal that like Daily Pie had um, to you in terms of like being a, a cool place to have in your neighborhood. Um, so what would you say are maybe some of your other favorite desserts and where would pie rank within that hierarchy of like your favorite desserts? Whoa. Okay. Um, a ranking is difficult, but um, I think um, ice cream is probably number one for me. Um, I just find an ice cream shop experience the most novel, you know, like I'm a child in there. Again, I get to try all these flavors, especially with a lot of artisanal ice cream shops opening up. The ingredients are really good. Um, the ice cream base um, is the right amount creamy and doesn't melt too fast. Um, and it's kind of this very special establishment where there are families, but there's also adults um, and it kind of caters to the masses. Um, so ice cream is definitely my number one. Um, there's two of my favorite ice cream shops on that same street that Daily Pie was on. Um, probably pie I associate a bit more with group gatherings. Um, I would get pie when I was going to some sort of um, dinner party um, for pie day. Obviously, I would usually have one. Um, but I'm such a big fan of sweets. I can um, like just today I had a very sweet Thai iced tea that was completely unnecessary. But I just love the taste of condensed milk. Um I know there's this other um, shaved ice place I really love called Snow Days um, in New York and their decor is really cute. Um, and it's like the shaved um, milk snow. Um, so I quite enjoy that over the summer as well. So you, you mentioned that there's a couple of like cool ice cream shops in your neighborhood. Um, so tell us a little bit about those places. Like like what, what are those places and um, what what's the atmosphere like when you go to get ice cream there? So there's two of them. Um, one of them is Ample Hills Creamery, um, which was one of my favorite, favorite establishments when I first moved to New York. They have a few locations around Manhattan and Brooklyn. I think they also have one at Disney World for some reason. Um, but they're so cute. Like they, their original location um, is in this neighborhood, Prospect Heights. Um, there's a fake little lawn outside that you can sit on chairs. Um, and they always have really interesting and chunky flavors. Um, I think one that's on their permanent menu and has been a long-standing favorite is the ooey gooey butter cake flavor. Um, but they always have a rotation of new flavors. So I love trying things there. Um, and it just feels very Brooklyn. Like it's all based on this one Walt Whitman quote where um, he he references the ample hills of Brooklyn. Um, so Ample House is adorable. Um, the other shop is called Ben Lewin. Um, I think the scale is probably a little bigger. I noticed that they have shops in LA now as well. Um, it's a little pricier um, and it's not so much of the chunky flavors, but they definitely have some really interesting ones. The reason why I really love Ben Lewin, especially recently, is because their vegan flavors are always so good. Um, I'm slightly lactose intolerant. One of my really good friends is vegan here. So sometimes um, having ice cream together is difficult. But Van Leeuwen always pushes through. Right now they have an oat milk base um, with chocolate chunks and um, cookie dough. Um, and I really love that flavor at the moment. But I think they've also had like some coconut ash flavors. Um, so they're always innovative. Um, and I really love them for that. 
Yeah, I think I, I really agree with you on your um, perspective of like ice cream being a go-to thing for dessert or kind of like just a, a staple for like if you don't know what kind of dessert you want, like you can always like fall back on ice cream because I think it's just a type of food that you can do so many different things with in terms of the flavors or even like going with like a vegan ice cream or you can do an ice cream cone or an ice cream cup or maybe like a milkshake. You can have a different base. You can have different mix-ins um, or you know how you can go to like one of those like uh, frozen yogurt places and you have like all these like fruit toppings or, or sprinkles or like cereals that you like throw onto your um, frozen yogurt. And then that's the other thing too. It's like I, you have ice cream, you have frozen yogurt, you have gelato, you have like all these variations of like a similar type of dessert. So I think for me personally, like I also really like ice cream. It's great like for the summer or for like a hot summer day or something like that. And so um, I'm curious, like what, what would be like some of your favorite uh, ice cream flavors that you like uh, generally would go for? Um, that's hard. I like all the weird flavors. So um, the weirder, the better. One of my favorite ice creams I've ever had was at Salt and Straw in Portland. I don't think they have this flavor anymore, but it was something like a candied pear and blue cheese combo. Um, and that savory sweet and ice cream was so unexpected. I think especially a blue cheese, most people wouldn't think goes well in ice cream, but um, they do it so well. Um, I also, uh, another place that has closed um, that makes me very sad um, is EC Ice Cream in Berkeley. Um, I went to university in Berkeley um, and it was just such a staple to walk down College Avenue and um, go to EC um, on a warmer night. Um, and there, like the crowd favorite was always Earl Grey ice cream, but probably at EC, I started trying a lot of new flavors. So I remember really loving their um, cardamom flavor. Um, and I hadn't really known what cardamom the spice tasted like before that. Um, and they also had a really nice chamomile um, pea ice cream flavor. Um, sadly, EC is also closed now, but um, they really opened my mind to um, different types of ice cream. It's funny that you like mentioned a place in Berkeley because I think of uh, one of my favorite ice cream places is Cream in Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And at Cream, they bake fresh cookies and then they have different ice cream flavors. And you go in, you choose which cookies you want, you choose what scoop of ice cream, and then they make you an ice cream sandwich. And so I lived in Berkeley for one summer and I was like two blocks away from the Cream. So during that summer, I would go there like way too often <laughs> and there would be like a huge line. Like you would wait sometimes up to like about an hour just to eat like a $2 ice cream sandwich. <laughs> but that was like how awesome it was. Like they were like playing music in there. There was like so much like positive energy. And it was, it was also just like, uh, kind of like you mentioned about daily pie, like it kind of like brought like, uh, energy or like a cool feeling, uh, to the, to the block or to the neighborhood. Um, and then the thing about cream is like, now they have a location in San Francisco and now they have, um, like they, I've seen that they sell cream at like the San Francisco giants baseball games mm -hmm. and they're way more expensive than they used to have them in Berkeley. I don't know if they're still that cheap in Berkeley. It's been a while since I've been there, but, um, that was a place I made an agreement with my roommate. We'd only go there once a week because we were like 
eating there too often. Um, so going on to a different topic now, um, I know like in the past, uh, you and I have talked a lot about some of the different um, Chinese restaurants in New York and the fact that New York has like so many different options when it comes to Chinese food because there's multiple Chinatowns and there are uh, like immigrant groups from many different parts of China. So you can find um, not just what you might consider like a typical um, Chinese menu that would be in many parts of the United States, but like more uh, regional types of food or very specific um, types of Chinese cuisine. I'm just curious um, what your thoughts are about like the food scene of Chinese food in New York right now. Um, like what you like about it and kind of where you um, have kind of explored so far? I think it's quite an interesting time right now, um, both for Chinese food and Asian food in general in New York. I think we're at this point where, okay, everyone's had like the staples of what they associate with Asian food and there's kind of this hunger for more innovative cuisine. Um, I think growing up in I grew up in California, but my family is from Shanghai. Um, and it was always very strange to me to go to Chinese restaurants because the food there never resembled what we ate at home or what I would eat in Shanghai. Um, for example, things like, obviously things like General Tso's chicken does not actually exist in China. Um, but even things like sweet and sour pork and fried rice, which are adapted from traditional Chinese dishes, they're not popular dishes who have in China anymore, particularly at restaurants. It's um, quite unheard of to just order a big pot of fried rice. Um, but obviously that's kind of the norm in the States. Um, I think in the past few years, New York has done a really good job in encouraging um, more innovative food and more specific foods. Um, so probably my favorite Chinese restaurants here um, our Cafe China and Mala Project. Um, they both focus mostly on Sichuan um, Chinese food, which again is a more popular style of Chinese food, both in China as well as the States. Um, but I think Cafe China in particular does it so well. It's so unapologetically Chinese. Um, I remember at one of their sister restaurants called Birds of a Feather in Williamsburg, um, there's no bathroom sign in English. It only says it in Chinese. Um, and that small detail just made me so happy. Like, it's a very trendy restaurant. It's not like the owners don't know English, but they're like, hey, like, you're in our restaurant right now. Um, you're going to go with um, the Chinese way of doing things. Um, and I think that's only possible right now um, in New York specifically. Um, their dessert menu at Cafe China always makes me like cry a little inside because it's these very um, culturally specific desserts. They have this um, rice dumpling in, I guess, like rice wine soup. Um, I don't really know how to describe it in English, but it's something that I grew up eating at home. Um, and in Shanghai now, it's not that popular to have anymore, but my relatives will always order me a bowl because they know that it's really hard to come by in the States and I really love it. Um, they also have this like white fungus soup um, that sounds so strange, but it's also such a staple in um, Chinese food. 
Um, so there's definitely a lot more specificity. There's so many new noodle shops opening all the time that aren't just pan China noodle shops, but really specific to individual provinces. So yeah, I know you mentioned like two of your favorite Chinese restaurants that you found in New York are both like a Sichuan style. Um, so like in my experience, that food can be very spicy depending on what you're ordering. Um, so I'm just curious, like what your opinion is on spicy food. Like, do you um, really enjoy spicy food? And do you think that it is difficult sometimes to find a place that makes food spicy enough? Or um, also like if that varies depending on whether you're eating um, maybe Chinese food versus like another type of cuisine, um, like if like what your preferences are with the spice or like how you feel like um, restaurants in New York or in the United States in general, like um, handle like making with uh, spicy food and trying to like cater to the what the people eating at the restaurant might like prefer. Um, I think with Sichuan food, it's meant to be very spicy. Um, actually in China, like in Shanghai, most people do not like spicy food, um, Shanghainese food is quite sweet um, and a little more on the bland side um, compared to a Sichuan dish. Um, I grew up um, eating my parents' food, which was mostly Shanghainese, but our really good family friends were from Sichuan. So growing up, I had already eaten a lot of that numbing spice um, Sichuan food. Um, so I think I've grown a really high spice tolerance from that. Um, but I think when I was younger, I just like things to be as spicy as possible. Um, maybe because my digestive system can no longer handle it. I think it's less about the heat level and more about how the spiciness tastes. Um, I think a really good Sichuan restaurant um, is very specific about how they make their spicy oils. Um, I know at Mala Project, the chef insists on flying in the ingredients from China um, every every week, maybe, um, at least regularly, um, because a lot of the ingredients are things that aren't staples in the States. So if you do get them, they're not as fresh here. Um, so it is a very considered way of approaching spice. Um, and at Mala Project, they do it really well. Yeah, that, that really makes sense. I think um, different types of food, even like you mentioned the difference between food that you'll find in Shanghai versus food that you'll find in the Sichuan area. Um, it has a different level of spice. And so, you know, any different type of cuisine that you find kind of approaches the use of spice as, you know, a certain flavor differently. Um, but I think what differentiates like good spicy food versus bad spicy food uh, which also sometimes gives uh, people a bad uh, experience or a bad impression. It's just like how they incorporate it with the flavors. Um, so like, for example, I was at the farmer's market uh, here in San Francisco the other day, and I was I was buying like some spinach and I saw that they had some Thai chilies that were sitting there next to the spinach. So after I made my purchase, I asked them if I could try one and I took a couple of bites uh, I knew I knew it was going to be very spicy, but I was just curious because I've never just like bitten it. And my mouth was like burning on fire for like several <laughs> minutes. And, you know, it's just kind of that thought of like, this is a um, super intense spice and flavor that isn't like 
good tasting, but yet if you incorporate it with the right food and like use, use it in a way that like enhances those flavors, then uh, it can make a big difference. It can make something like much more flavorful. So like with regards to Chinese food in the United States, um, what would you say are like common misconceptions of um, Chinese food, like from an American perspective? So I know you kind of mentioned that there are certain foods on the menu, like General Tso's chicken or, or different things like that, that you wouldn't find in China. Um, but just curious, like uh, when you're talking to somebody who doesn't know much about Chinese food, or maybe you travel to a region of the country where it's like harder to find, what are um, misconceptions that you feel uh, people have about the food? I think the Chinese restaurants in the States are more or less the same. Um, whatever menu you see at one restaurant is probably what you're going to see at the next. Maybe there's a dim sum restaurant um, that's a little different. Um, but I just always found that very inauthentic to what Chinese food is. I think in terms of food um, diversity, China's more like a cluster of different countries and each region has such a specific um, cuisine. Um, for example, like even in broad swaths, um, Shanghai is considered in the southern part of the country um, and Beijing is considered in the northern part of the country. Um, and I know on the map, like it doesn't geographically work out that way, but there's this very big cultural divide where um, northern people are known to eat more of like the noodles and the dumplings. Whereas in Shanghai, it's like a very seafood heavy diet. Um, whenever I'm there, we're eating like a lot of fish, um, a lot of shrimp. Um, and then obviously like in Sichuan, like, um, there is the really spicy food. Um, there's a lot of, um, like human lamb and in Xi'an as well. Um, so the cuisine throughout the country is really different. Um, and even outside of mainland China, then there's like Taiwanese food, um, and Hong Kong style food. And there's so much like, I don't know. My parents don't even know. Um, so I think a big misconception is just that Chinese food is one note or you can sum it up just in one menu. Um, and that's really not true. Um, the other misconception, I think, is that Asian food should be cheap. Um, and while it's true that you can go to a lot of Asian countries and um, buy a lot of street food or go into smaller shops to get um, a cheap meal. It's also true that the more innovative or trendy restaurants do exist. Um, you can pay more for food there the same way that you can pay more for food here um, while still going to McDonald's or Chipotle on occasion. Um, I think it's a little condescending that Western tourists go to Asia and just talk about how cheap the food is. Um, a lot of times it's because the standard of living is lower there. So the locals can't food, afford more expensive food. Um, and I feel like price is such a strange moniker to judge food on. Um, so what I'd really love to see is people just appreciating um, food for what it is and all the flavors and spices that are used um, in Asia that aren't as common in the States rather than focusing on the price. Yeah, so if if you could see something change about like Chinese restaurants in the United States, um, just to kind of uh, reiterate 
you know, what, what you've said so far, it sounds like from your experience living in the Bay Area versus living in New York, you found that you like the Chinese food in New York much better. And that a big part of that is that it's, um, it's like innovative, it's unique, it's very diverse, like coming from different parts of China. And even the restaurants themselves might be like nicer, like um, a little higher end or maybe higher end is not even the right word, but just um, not what you would expect, like from going to a place that you would think would be a cheap restaurant. So would you say that like what you would like to see grow in other parts of the United States is like more of that regional, um, innovative type of Chinese food uh, that you can't find in places outside of New York generally? Yeah, I'd love to see a greater proliferation of Asian restaurants that aren't just catering to um, like the lowest tier in terms of price or just that greasy food that you order in when you don't want to go outside. Um, I think in the same way that you can pretty much go to any major U.S. city and find a nice French restaurant, a nice German restaurant, um, you should be able to find um, a nice um, Sandong-style restaurant and a nice Shanghai-style restaurant. Um, and there's so much to um, discover and taste. Um, and I'd really love for more people to realize that about Chinese food. Yeah, I think that that totally makes sense. I, like, I think of my own personal experience. So I grew up in a place that is very much like rural midwestern united states and like we had a couple of chinese restaurants in our town and there was like a chinese buffet where you would get the food that you kind of mentioned like general sauce chicken or like fried rice but then they also had like pizza and ice cream for like little <laughs> kids that you know didn't want to have like the chinese food that was on the buffet um but then i moved to san francisco almost five years now, five years ago now. And I think um, I started trying new Chinese food, but also um, started to realize like the importance of like eating soups and Chinese food and other different types of Asian cuisine. Um, and then, so I spent two weeks uh, traveling in China with my friend who is Chinese and we had like spicy fish soup and we had wonton noodle soup. I love the wonton noodle soup. I had that for breakfast like three days in a row. <laughs> and then we had, we went to Taiwan, we had like beef noodle soup. Um, and then even just here in the Bay Area, eating other types of Asian food and having like ramen and pho and all different kinds of uh, food that like utilizes like soup as the medium. For me, that like kind of opened my eyes and helped me to appreciate like eating soups much more because I never really liked soups growing up as a kid. Um, so I'm just curious, like what your perspective is on soup. Um, like, like, do you like to try um, American soups or maybe even like American soups isn't the right word, but like, do you tend to lean more towards Asian soups? Because I, f I feel like they do it very well. And um, there's like so much variety, like even in just like Chinese food. So like, what is your perspective on like soups within like Chinese cuisine? Um, I've never really had an aversion to soup as a form, um, I guess, because growing up, there would usually be a soup on the table at dinner. Um, 
the three main components of dinner would be like the rice and then the main dishes, like the meats and the vegetables, and then a soup. Um, and a lot of times when my parents like didn't know um, what the last item on the table was, they would just be like, let's make a seaweed soup or let's make a cilantro um, and egg soup. Um, and there were like very simple soup solutions um, in our household. Um, I love American soups as well. Like I love a chicken oil soup and a clam chowder um, and I have no aversion to um, non-Asian soups. Um, but I do have to say I have a serious weak spot for um, Asian noodle soups. I love a Taiwanese beef noodle soup. I love um, I love all types of ramen. Um, chicken pho is so amazing. Um, and I feel like I used to really dislike that part of myself where it felt very stereotypical of me to just enjoy noodle soups all day as an Asian American woman. But I think recently I just really embraced it. Um, it's this amazing food category um, and it makes me happy in all seasons, even when, when it's really warm, I can always go for a noodle soup. There's so many different flavors and the flavors are so complex. I feel like a lot of Asian soups are built on um, really stewing the soup for hours and hours of the day. Um, and when we were talking earlier, I mentioned that in New York, there's been a trend for bone broth um, and these bone broth places charge you like $10 for a coffee cup of bone broth, um, which is the most staple um, Chinese soup base um, there is. Um, I think probably because um, China wasn't always a wealthy country, um, people had to use the whole animal. So a lot of times they would finish eating it and then there'd be all these bones and then you would um, boil the bones until they made a really hearty um, soup. And now when I see these places selling it for $10, I kind of laugh to myself because it's really meant to um, be using up the carcass of the animal after you're already done eating it. So when you go to Chinese restaurants, particularly like a Peking duck place, um, you can always ask for um, the carcass of the bird if you ordered a dish with the whole bird. Um, and in China, people get very offended if you won't give them the duck carcass at a Peking duck restaurant. Um, so I guess soup has always been there for me in Asian food. Um, and I'm excited to see it grow um, in the States. Um, but for all you listeners out there, um, bone broth is very easy to make and I encourage you to um, try it out at home as well. Like every uh, culture does certain types of food very well. And for me, as I've explored Chinese food and, and different types of Asian cuisine more, um, the soups have really like been what's impressed me the most and have been like um, helped me to appreciate like eating soups more. And I'm going to be spending a week in Hong Kong in September and I'm just going to be like eating soup every day when I'm there. <laughs> so that, that'll be one of my goals. So as we're starting to wrap things up for the podcast, is there anything else that you want to add in um, regarding everything that we've talked about? So that could be about like daily pie, about your neighborhood, about the Chinese food in New York or um, anything else that the listeners should know? Yeah, I guess um, if anyone's interested in like eating good um, Chinese food or um, having good ice cream, um, I always 
I always really value like eating restaurants that are open by local owners. Um, I don't know, like you're really supporting a community. The places tend to be much more specific and have a vision in mind. Um, I rarely go to any chain restaurants and part of that's just the privilege of um, being in our income bracket and like being a millennial in a big city. Um, but I think there are definitely options out there. Um, it's always great to try something new. Yeah, I completely agree. It's um, it's cool to see a, a small restaurant where the owners are like pouring their heart and soul into what they're doing. And um, it's like that is their, that's their pride. Like every, it's family run, you know, it's like a small, small team of people that are all about um, hoping to see that that restaurant succeeds and, and uh, providing something that the neighborhood is going to enjoy. So um, I know for me, like I have a little cafe a couple blocks down that's run by like an Italian family. And I go anytime I need a quick dinner that I know is going to be good. Like I know I can rely on that place and they recognize me when I come in sometimes. So <laughs> already like have my order, like start to prepare it. So um, yeah, it's always, uh, it's always great to, to know when you can trust a place like that. So, all right. Well, thank you Jess so much for um, coming on the episode today and um, sharing about um, the tragedy of daily pie closing down, but all the <laughs> happiness that it brought for the neighborhood and, and also just uh, all of your experience, like trying different Chinese food in New York and how it compares to, to the food that you'll find in other places of the country. So yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And thank you listeners for tuning into another episode. Um, be sure to keep an eye out for more episodes coming out in the future and let me know if you're interested in being the next guest. 